Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate health's most innovative entrepreneurs and the health moonshots they're working to achieve. I'm Logan Plaster, editor of Startup Health Magazine. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming onto the podcast, Dr. Howard Crime, Chief Medical Officer here at Startup Health. In addition to being CMO at Startup Health, uh, Howard is a practicing head and neck surgeon at Jefferson University Physicians in Philadelphia. And we wanted to check in with him to get his insights on COVID-19 this week, uh, how it's impacting his work specifically, and uh, his thoughts on how, it, how he sees it impacting health innovation in our community more broadly. So Howard, thanks for joining me on the podcast. So great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I mean, this is a, it's an important time and this is an important conversation to have. Yeah, I feel like the first question on all of these interviews this week have been, uh, where are you working from? Where are you right now? Right now, actually, right now I'm at home. Um, okay. We're doing our best, uh, the whole hospital is doing our best to limit uh, travel and exposure to all key personnel uh, and obviously patients, staff, everything. Okay. Uh, what does that look like for you working from home as a surgeon? Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. So we understand, so, you know, as, as you know, I, I practice every day. I still have a full-time uh, full-time uh, commitment to uh, my patients being that uh, I generally see patients two days a week in the office and operate two days a week. Um, so as this, uh, as this pandemic has been expanding, we've uh, tried to alter and sort of follow the, the government's guidelines and then uh, also the, the hospital, Jefferson Hospital, where I am. We have a COVID response team and we've been putting out um, some general guidelines uh, of our own as well that sort of supplement and maybe even take the government guidelines a step further. So um, what it looks like for us right now is we are actively converting um, almost every appointment, or I should say all the appointments that we can to telemedicine uh, appointments. So we can talk to patients, maintain contact, maintain um, a, a commitment to their health um, without exposing either them to us and us to them because you know there's community transmission but we also have active patients in the hospital so we sure. want to make sure that we limit um, any of the patients coming in to see us so we don't spread it too. Sure, sure. So lots of talk about how this could be a really meaningful catalyst for telemedicine. So since you just mentioned it, how much, um, how many visits were being handled remotely before versus how it is now? Yeah. So we, you know, it's interesting. We uh, at Jefferson, we've had a, um, a goal to start using telemedicine over the last probably two years um, really actively. And I'd say, on a given day, I might have two patients that were telemedicine, two to three, um, on, three on a, on, on a, on a, on a good day. Okay. Um, and they were usually just used for post-op visits for patients who traveled far. I have a lot of patients who come in from you know two, three, four hours away to have them drive all the way back just for me to check something. Mm. Um, we would do a telemedicine to make it easier for them. So the, the neat thing about what we had going on at Jefferson is we already had the infrastructure set up. So we've been using telemedicine for the last couple of years, albeit not as actively as we are now. So we're trying to, you know, that's part of the, the goal right now is to ramp up to really start using it as, uh, as, as our main interaction with patients. 
there's still going to be a subset of patients who have to come in. Sure. Um, you know, this is catching us in the middle of obviously busy, busy uh, operative times for a lot of surgeons. And so you can't just say, well, we're not going to do a follow-up. So we're trying to limit um, any of the interactions in the office to just post-operative care and emergencies right now. Side question, what makes this a hot time for surgeries? Uh, well, I just... Actually, it's it's funny. Every surgeon um, will know that there's, uh, there's sort of a, a curve to to what uh, what we do and when we do it. Um, spring is just you know for for what for what I do, and I do a combination of of uh, reconstructive surgery, but I also do a lot of elective surgery. Spring um, gets to be sort of a heavy time. Um, before summer's coming and stuff, people wanting to get things done. Uh, also, um, you know, it's uh, off, coming off of busy seasons of uh, certain certain industries for uh, for winter and stuff like that. So, uh, the, the truth is, it's always busy. <laughs> yeah. Do you see this? Okay, so I mean, you, you bring up an interesting point about telemedicine in that Jefferson already had the infrastructure, and so this caused you to triple down on it. Um, yeah. Do you see the same thing happening in areas where uh, where maybe that infrastructure wasn't there, um, that, that poses its own interesting challenge right now, doesn't it? Oh, it, it, tremendous. I, I, what I can say is um, what's going on in medicine right now, and it's funny, um, and it'll be, be, you know, at Startup Health, we've been saying that we're, in a, we're really in a unique uh, moment in time, and mm -hmm. we've been saying that for, for a few years. Um, this pandemic has when you say tripled down, tripled, quadrupled, I mean, we are really at a unique moment in time in medicine. Um, we are in very short order changing the way medicine is delivered across, around the world. Um, the the standard um, way, which uh, it was, you know, a, a patient coming into an office, getting their vitals done, seeing a physician or a, a provider, um, getting all their prescriptions and stuff like that is really changing and it's changing rapidly and out of necessity. Um, I think that it's going to be difficult for a lot of hospitals and providers who did not have the capability to do telemedicine to catch up right now. I think that because of the experience that we're having now, medicine will be forever changed and I think it will be a necessity for all physicians to have the ability to do telemedicine. And let me just jump in. Um, the ability to do telemedicine for those uh, that are listening, it's not just about, oh, can you video conference some with somebody? It's also sure. about making sure you capture the appropriate things, right? So um, be able to look at scans um, and or test results, be able to document into the medical record what's going on and make sure that things don't you know, fall through the cracks and, um, and that there's appropriate follow-up. Um, making sure that um, the, and believe it or not, that there's billing issues even that come with that. Tr Luckily enough, Trump and uh, the administration, as well as the insurance companies are really stepping up to say, um, right now they um, extended privileges across state lines. So uh, I practice in Philadelphia, my telemedicine generally, I'm licensed in New York and Delaware and Pennsylvania, and that's the, the brunt of my areas. Um, and we try to stay within those confines when we're doing telemedicine. Trump let, let, lifted that and said, at this point, um, we're not holding the physicians 
directly responsible that if there's somebody outside of their medical license area, they can still practice telemedicine with them. Uh, and insurance companies are also stepping up and saying, you know what, uh, telemedicine is going to be paid for. Interesting. Um, so that's the telemedicine side. You know, one of the pieces that we're seeing it's in the startup health portfolio is advances in at-home monitoring. And actually, we've got sure. a, we've got a piece that I'm working on right now that are working titles like quarantine tech. You know, the kinds of things that you can use at home to um, take it beyond just a, a thermometer, uh, take it beyond uh, just sort of checking how you feel and then um, starting your telemedicine visit cold. You know, uh, and I wonder what your thoughts are on, um, you know, being able to do an at-home pulse ox, being able to do at-home uh, lung function, uh, yeah. and really having that data captured in the cloud, starting to anticipate population health problems. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, we actually, um, I'm not sure if it's been official, but it is official that uh, we've added in a 12th moonshot, which is going to be pandemic response moonshot. And that's uh, together we can prevent and control global communicable diseases uh, and outbreaks. Part of that is really using digital health technologies hmm. to be able to um, incorporate that into the current medical system and create new pathways to monitor patients, treat patients, and ensure that the physicians are able to do so without even seeing the patients. And that's what I was sort of alluding to before, saying that oh, this is really a, a truly unique moment in time where we are redefining what medical care looks like, um, not just in, domestically, but uh, around the world. Yeah. Do you see that, that being a positive move in terms of really advanced at-home monitoring? I mean, do you think we need Abs to... No, absolutely. Sorry about that. I, I, I you know, I, I've asked, I've been asked that question so many times over the last, um, uh, last couple of weeks. Um, one hundred percent. If we can, uh, uh, just an example. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was uh, pulse oximetry. So we have mm -hmm. a company, Oxitone, that has a wearable pulse oximetry that um, that can, um, in real time monitor a patient's oxygenation level, multiple different vitals, but we're just talking about um, pulse ox, so the mm -hmm. oxygenation level of, of, a, of a patient right now, um, at home, safely, away from everybody else, and in real time notify the physician or the care team that there was either a change, mm -hmm. uh, and the change could be obviously a, a, a positive change or a negative change, and allow us to get that patient the appropriate care in a in a very quick uh, expedited manner instead of the patient actually sitting at home wondering hey did you know I, I, it is feeling a little bit more difficult to breathe um, we're notified actually as they're starting to feel that yeah. um, and it's it's really going to revolutionize um, the way we care for patients uh, since you're a physician maybe you can educate our reader about how is it possible for some of those vitals to actually um, anticipate the illness. So I don't know whether it's the pulse ox or your temperature or your breathing patterns, but um, can we start to actually detect earlier? Absolutely. So I think that first off, everything has to be take, taken into context. So right, things in isolation, whether it's a temperature, 
um, or a blood pressure or a pulse oximetry reading have to be taken uh, in, in context. But when you take something and say, okay, well, you know what, now I'm monitoring somebody's temperature and I'm monitoring somebody's um, heart rate and I'm monitoring somebody's pulse oximetry and you see changes in that early, we absolutely can then say, hey, wait a second, um, this patient who is still asymptomatic feels fine, mm -hmm. but we've noticed that, you know what, their temperature has now gone up to 100 um, and, or 100.4, and you know what, we're seeing, even though they're not feeling it yet, we've watched their pulse ox over the last day drop from 100% to, you know, 90%. Still not, um, still not symptomatic. Patient doesn't feel any different, but we're saying, hey, wait a second, this patient might have had, you know, whether they had an exposure, we're just using COVID-19 for this, you know, th th this patient might have had an exposure and certainly could be uh, in the early stages of the infection. Interesting, interesting. Uh, this is sort of a, a shifting in gear a little bit, but, you know, one, one of the things, one of the trends I've seen um, online in different conversations, even on social media, is this idea that, um just because we're in the middle of this pandemic, no other health issue has actually disappeared and, and everything is just as acute as it was before. And I wonder what's your, what are your thoughts on that in terms of making sure we, all, we also keep our eye on the ball with, with other major health issues? Absolutely. And I think that's where telemedicine is you know, has to come in mm. 100%. Um, you know, the, people's medical conditions, their Ill, illnesses, et cetera, are all still present. Um, so that's the balance of what we're trying to do. Um, many, you know, if, if you talk about uh, different industries, many industries can shut down for two weeks mm -hmm. and say, okay, you know what, we're not bringing anybody in. People are just going to work from home and that'll be that. We can't do that in medicine. We mm -hmm. have to maintain um, contact with our patients. We have to, in, in many cases, actually see the patient. Um, we have patients in the hospital. Um, we have patients that are, like I said, recently post-op. There's, there's people that still need care. Um, but at the same time, how do we limit and try to contain and what we call flatten the curve of this pandemic? It's, it's, it's a difficult problem. And the interesting thing, and I was, I was uh, reading an article the other day, you know, there's a pandemic like this generally every generation. Um, and, you know, if you think back to polio, um, you know, back, uh, that was the, the pandemic of that generation. This is really, even though we had SARS and some other things, this is really um, our generation's global pandemic. Hopefully we won't have another one um, in our lifetime. We don't know. But, uh, but uh, you know, I think it's important that we recognize we have to control this. We have to um, do everything we can to flatten the curve and allow our technology and our healthcare systems uh, catch up to what's happening and be able to take care of the patients, but at the same time, not lose sight of there's a lot of sick people out there that are still gonna need concurrent care um, that we can't just ignore. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the 100 year flood concept. It's, it's, it's so important to be planning for those, those things in, far in the future, but, but how hard it is to, uh, to do that pre-planning years and years, a generation in, in advance. It is. The interesting thing, though, when you think about this pandemic is we are at a better 
place to handle, deal with, and, and limit the effect and, um, uh, and, uh, and uh, the harm that this pandemic would do better than at any other point in history. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with um, digital health and digital technologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So in terms of macro trends, we've talked about telemedicine, obviously, we've talked about some of the remote care. You know, another thing I, I wonder, I would like to get your thoughts on, is just this idea of um, kind of knowing where our therapeutics are coming from, so that in an emergency situation like this, we don't get um, cut off from elements of the antibiotics we need, elements of the treatments that we need. And I wonder, um, just as a, as a physician and thinking about the, the global nature of what we're doing, I wonder what, what kind of effect you think you're gonna, this is going to have on how we view where things are produced in terms of therapeutics. Yeah, um, it's a, that's an interesting question because I'm not sure how it's going to affect yeah. how. You know, if you stop and you think about just go beyond therapeutics, if you think about where most of our masks and gloves are even coming sure, from, they're sure. coming from from China. Mm-hmm. Um, and not saying that that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but if you, there's, we're in a pandemic and they need gloves and sure. all the same equipment, and they start going, well, we're not going to share them right now because we need them to contain our things. So I think it is a wake-up call um, uh, for the world to recognize that um, we're no longer dealing with things in isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it means, you know, hey, we should always be able to um, be self-reliant um, in the United States or yeah. Canada or in other countries. Um, but I think more than saying, hey, we should be self-reliant, I think it's more a wake-up call to say we are all interdependent, interdependent, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we need to work together. There can't be, there has to be transparency. Mm-hmm. There has to be sharing of data and knowledge, therapeutics, equipment. Um, because again, we are, we've moved from, um, you know, silos for the most part, country silos, to just a global world and a global economy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like that you use the term "wake up call" because, you know, it, obviously the answer isn't to, to cut these things off, but to be wise, right? To to just understand, okay, if if the thing I need the most is inaccessible to me in the time of need, like let's let's be wise and let's um, let's think ahead about that. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. I was going to say, and I think that if you look and watch the news a little bit in today, you know, there's certainly a call for um, for people to think about that, right? To, mm-hmm. And it even goes down to, uh, you know, as watching, you know, a news report about people stocking up, and uh, and one of the reporters really, really did sort of uh, um, hit the hit the nail on the head and say, listen. Um, it's not about stocking up just your house. Remember, uh, you know, if you if you if you got you know three chickens or four chickens, it, maybe you don't need to buy seven of them and just stock them in your house. Recognize that there's other families that are going to need things too, yeah, yeah. and I think that that is is sort of a, you know a, a call for community, sure. much like the startup health community. We yeah. work together for a common good, and I think that that's what that's what the world has to do right now. Yeah, we're seeing this sort of we're in this together uh, ethos coming out of Italy, coming out of China and really being embraced here. And it's really amazing how 
these times can bring that out of communities. And like you said, we're certainly seeing that within startup health. I mean, that's a good segue to, I think, what could be a good final question, which is, you know, in a time like this, um, I'm curious, you're sort of right in the, in the middle of it. You're in the mix, you're in the hospital setting, and there's you know, a fair amount of anxiety going around, even within healthcare workers that I know. And I, yeah. I, w- I wonder, um, just what are the things that kind of lift your spirits and give you optimism during this time? Um, I'll tell you, what gives me optimism is, um, so we have a, within my um, hospital system, within my division um, and department, uh, it is truly amazing. I'll be honest, and even as I watch the news, it's amazing. A lot of the chatter, this bipartisan chatter is slowing. Um, and we are really starting to support each other and work together um, for solutions and not blame. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the, the neat thing and what really does raise my spirits is uh, within, within my department, within my hospital systems, my staff, the nurses, my, um, my, the other providers that I work with, everybody is stepping up. And, you know, there's definitely um, risks and dangers. I mean, you know, kids are out of school. Parents uh, have to go to work. Um, and a lot of healthcare providers, um, whether it's the staff, the nurses, the physicians, the other providers, have to be um, sort of, and I, and I use front lines, uh, you know, purposefully, have to be up in those front lines exposing themselves um, to this risk, but recognize that they also have to go home to their loved ones, and are they putting them at risk? And sure. I have to tell you, there, there has not been one person um, that I've run into that I work with that has for a second said, I'm not doing it. I'm not coming in. Mm. Everybody um, works together, tries to protect each other, tries to make sure that we're following all the guidelines. Um, We, and this goes even into the housekeeping um, staff who shows up every day um, Mm. into a hospital where there's known COVID um, and cleans and make mm. sure that they're protecting everybody else who comes through the hospital. So it's just been a really amazing time to watch everybody pull together for the greater good of, and I know it sounds dramatic, but for the greater good of humanity. Mm. Well, Howard, um, I appreciate that sentiment and appreciate you taking the time out of what I know is a, a, is a busy schedule. And just you being on the, you being in the hospital there, you being a, a provider during this time, I just appreciate, want to give you my appreciation for, for being there and being on the front lines. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show and thank you for, you know, continuing to get out the importance uh, and discuss the importance of digital health technologies in this and other arenas. But uh, because I really do think that that is going to be um, what helps us successfully get through this pandemic with uh, as little harm as possible. So thank you, Logan, for hosting. Thank you, Howard. Just to close us out here, Startup Health invests in entrepreneurs committed to achieving health moonshots. Our growing global army of health transformers includes more than 325 companies uh, companies from 25 countries. And you can read more about the inspiring women and men in the Startup Health community at StartupHealth.com. We are writing daily stories about uh, the companies working to find solutions for COVID-19. 
uh, across the, the array of health innovation. And uh, you can find all of that at startuphealth.com slash content. If you're interested in joining our community, uh, we have a special call for innovation around COVID-19. And you can find that at our website as well, startuphealth.com slash getting started. So thanks for joining the show. And uh, we'll see you on the podcast very soon. Thanks. Thanks.